Hello and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. Uh, I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website and I'm joined by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Sidekick. We're going to be discussing the two women's games in April against the USA, what the, the performances from the established players and some new call-ups could mean for the team ahead of going to Australia in the summer for the World Cup. Mark, it's good to talk to you again. How are you? I'm good to know yourself. I'm uh, suffering a little bit with a sore throat, but uh, hopefully it's not too bad. Kick off! Let's get things started with the first game against the US. The team flew out to face the USA in the Q2 Stadium in Austin, home of Austin FC, for whom Dundalk's John Gallagher has been playing very well in the MLS so far this season. Fira Powell named a strong starting lineup with a little bit of experimentation mixed in. Um, midfielder Sinead Farley made her debut after declaring for the Republic. USA are the number one ranked side in the world. We're going to be facing two teams currently ranked in the top 10 by FIFA. Australia are 10th and Canada are currently ranked 6th. With all due respect to the teams that we faced in qualification, the World Cup is another level ahead of the sides you face during qualifying. So with that in mind, facing the number one ranked side in the world, while a daunting prospect is also a worthwhile exercise in terms of preparation for the World Cup, in that opening 45 minutes, I thought Ireland played well. Maybe a little unfamiliar in a 5-4-1 formation. Definitely not used to seeing the national side line out with five in defence and Kyra Carusa plowing a very lone furrow up front. But we did manage to create uh, a few chances, mainly from set pieces with Louise Quinn uh, having a shot saved on the line. And it did look like it was going to be heading for nil-nil at half time until uh, Emily Fox took advantage of a little extra space that she found between the centre circle and the edge of the D and scored from distance an affliction that we're becoming almost too accustomed from the men's team seems to be affecting the, the women's team now. Mark, what did you think of opening 45 minutes against the US and how do you think the debutants fared in their performances? It was a decent first half in public of Ireland. The, the stall was set, be defensively compact, be well organised. I think we certainly did that. USA didn't really create too many wholesale chances against us in that first half. And as you said, we did pose a few threats, particularly on the set piece with Louise Quinn. The goal itself, I think Emily Fox has to be given credit, identified a little bit of space in between our midfield and defence here. I think we kind of sensed here, Joe, that from minute 30, there was a little bit of a drop in the middle third intensity from Republic of Ireland. That allowed the likes of Emily Fox to really kind of gain prominence in the game. It was a good strike. I mean, nothing that Courtney Brosnan could do about the goal. But I suppose overall, I think our fear going in here, Joe, is that the United States would rack up maybe a score against the Republic of Ireland, but that certainly wasn't the case early doors here. And, uh, you know, optimism was a plenty going into that second half. Ireland's uh, unbeaten before facing the States, uh, going back to February 2022 when we lost 1-0 to Russia in the, the Pinotar Cup, but you know the US have a phenomenal record uh, of their own uh, since losing to Germany 2-1 in November of 2022. They're currently on an eight-game winning streak, and in that time, they've only conceded two goals, once to Germany, beating them 2-1 after that 2-1 loss, and one to Brazil in a 2-1 win in the She Believes Cup 
in uh, in February. So perhaps we shouldn't have been too surprised that the US took the lead and also kept the Irish team at bay. In the second half, though, I felt the US had a had greater control of the game. Didn't look like scoring until surprisingly Darren Caldwell gave away a penalty. Caldwell has almost 100 appearances for our country. She's a defender with a wealth of experience behind her. The US player maybe went down a little bit early, but as soon as she felt a tap on her shoulder, she made sure to hit the ground. And I can't really argue with the referee's decision. It was a clear penalty. I don't think it's going to put Caldwell's you know, seat on the plane in any jeopardy, but do you think that looking at that at that incident, Vera Powell might have some thoughts about keeping her in the starting eleven? Diane Caldwell's a vast experienced central defender both for club and country. I think she'll be disappointed with the the goal, um and even the penalty for that matter. You know, it gets a little bit too close to her uh, marker marker turns her and then as soon as that's happening there's a little bit of panic panic sets in unfortunately and as I said, there was a pull of the jersey there anywhere on the shoulder. And again, I think this referee as well was getting a little bit under pressure from the home support from Austin because there was one or two instances before that that uh, the US crowd bid for free kicks that didn't happen. So again, it's, um, look, Diane Cole will be the first to admit, look, wasn't good, but I think she'll be a pivotal squad member heading into this World Cup. And uh, it's just, Take the lessons from it here, Joe. Uh, I think she's a pivotal force, given the continued absence of Nifahi here. And uh, yeah, I can see her starting uh, for Ireland against Australia in July. The game also saw the debut of two players for the Girls in Green in midfield. Sinead Farley of Gotham FC started in her very first game after declaring. And uh, Tara Hanlon of Piedmont United came off the bench. Uh, in between training sessions and the build-up to the game, uh, she passed the time by studying for her leaving search, which she'll be taking in June, and we'd like to wish her the very best in her state exams. How do you think the two players fared, and will they have given the manager food for thought ahead of the squad announcements, which we expect to come in June? For any of the net new squad members, and you could even throw Ethan Mannion in here, and Marisa Shaver as well, it's very hard to come into a squad that has done so much in the last two years, two and a half years, and really make an impact so close to a World Cup. I suppose talking in terms of Sinead Farrelly, an awful lot of positive plaudits came her way from players and management from this. It's a player that obviously Vera Powell knows. I didn't think she did anything wrong, provided plenty of energy, provided plenty of nice touches in the middle third. I suppose in terms of a Hannon as well, I think this would be a more long-term prospect fine, you know, very technically, very well set up and uh, again, didn't really put a foot wrong here. So I think for Vera Powell, in terms of those two players, I think huge potential there. From a Farley perspective, I mean, 33, she's playing her football with Gotham FC, but again, not getting regular game minutes here, Joe, and I think that is the key denominator here that Vera Powell needs to really adjudicate and select a squad. She needs players that are playing regular first team football who are on form going on a plane to Australia in July. And again, from a Sinead Farley perspective, she's only one appearance for Gotham FC this season for all the impressive performances in training and during this match. I think it's just basically running the rule over her. I, I would think unlikely for those two to feature, but I think for O'Hanlon, I think it's massive experience for her and she will be uh, 
a pivotal squad member, I would say, going into the European qualifications, no doubt. Uh, Todd Farley played well in midfield. She didn't do anything wrong. She looked solid in possession, kept the passes simple. But on the other hand, if you want to push into an established squad like what the Ireland team have, you need to be setting yourself apart from them. You need to be showing you can do something that nobody else in the squad is doing. And I didn't really see that from Farley. She only signed for Gotham FC in March. The 20 minutes of football that she played before the US were actually her first minutes of competitive football since 2015 for Portland Thorns. Uh, unfortunately, uh, was injured and wasn't able to play for either Boston Breakers or Seattle Reign until announcing her retirement in December of uh, 2016. You know, if you look back at the World Cup squads for the men's team, uh, you see players like Stephen Rees, Gary Kelly, Phil Babb, Jason McIntyre all coming into the squad despite not playing a part in qualification. But I think the difference here with Farley is that these were established footballers uh, performing at a high level and, like I said, were able to offer something a little different than what the established players did offer to the, to the various managers. And I just didn't see enough from Farley excuse me, to suggest that she deserves uh, a seat on the plane to Australia. I mean, the squad that was announced contained uh, a lot of squad regulars, but even if you look beyond it at the players who were not available for various reasons, Lily Ag, who's, who's playing for London City Lionesses, or Neil Farley, who's playing in Italy with Parma, Devran Delahar, who made her debut uh, back in February. Not really sure if there's anything that Farley can do to, to break into the squad ahead of the, as, as we say, the announcement, uh, which we're expecting in June. Following that game, the Irish team decamped to Missouri for the second friendly, uh, which took place in uh, City Park. The starting lineup showed uh, two changes from the team in Austin. Farley and Connolly made way for Lucy Quinn and Rusha Littlejohn. I felt uh, the addition of Littlejohn, in particular in midfield, added uh, a little bit of bite to that midfield, possibly a reaction from Vera Powell to the, uh, where we conceded that goal from. Again, overall, the performance uh, in the first half was quite good. We were solid in possession, but similar to what, what had happened in Austin, the formation didn't really lend itself to the creation of chances, and Kyra Carusa felt, if anything, more isolated up front. You know, when you have a team like with the likes of Denise O'Sullivan and Lucy Quinn, Katie McCabe not creating chances, kind of tells its own story. The first half did look like it was going to finish scoreless until a long, long-range shot from defender uh, Alana Cook costs Courtney Brosnan and goals off her line. I don't think Alana Cook will ever be able to convince any of us that she actually meant it. Uh, it was one of those crosses that ended up being a shot, but uh, she always claimed that it was a goal. You know, Mark, how did you feel that the, the changes that Vera Powell made to the team affected the play compared to how it went in Austin. Fresh legs were required given Austin an awful lot of, you know, defensive work had to be done by Republic of Ireland on that Saturday. I think uh, the players that came in really did provide good energy. I thought Little John was very impressive. I thought in the middle of the park along with Denise Sullivan. We've repeatedly said here in this podcast, Kate McCabe is wasted in that back line. I think it needs to be pushed up the field into the midfield area like she would be typically in Arsenal. I think that's probably one learning from this whole trip. 
But uh, I think, in fairness, again, very well organised. The top passing accuracy, Joe was much more improved. We were 59% in the first game in Austin, Texas. In St. Louis, Missouri, it was up to 79%. And I mean, the possession count, 53-47. Again, uh, again, it showed evolution here from Ireland. It showed that they were able to adapt their game plan based on that first game. They right a few wrongs. And I mean, the goal is very unfortunate. Uh, to be fair, I mean, I thought Courtney Brosnan didn't really put a foot wrong during these two games. I think it's just unfortunate. It's a, it's definitely a cross. Uh, but again, you know, it has to be dealt with. And unfortunately, she's off her line and uh, gives the opportunity. But I think overall, Courtney Brosnan did very well. Top commander area very well. Was very unlucky on this, the penalty from Horn on the Saturday in Austin, Texas. So I think there's an awful lot of plus points here, particularly from a defensive setup. I suppose... Going forward is probably the final third. As you say, Caruso was very isolated up front. And I know we had likes of Amber Barrett come on here as well. But again, it was a very forlorn task here, given there was a bit more, you know, defensive onus, I think, on this trip. The worst thing that could have possibly happened in this, these two fixtures was for Ireland to get ha- hammered. But it never happened. So I think from Ireland's perspective... They've tested out this 5-4-1. I think it will be used at various occasions, maybe during this group stage. But again, there has to be maybe an onus here on the final third and really identifying someone within the Ireland side, like an Amber Barrett or a Carusa, to supply good ball into our front uh, front players because it, they got scarcely no opportunities. Really, it was their set piece from corner kicks, which was the key. So, I mean, overall, it was, I thought it was quite a positive tour here, Joe. And I suppose it does test out in terms of our logistics having to move from Austin to St. Louis Saturday to Wednesday it was simulating a little bit in terms of how this Ireland ladies team and management and logistics department will have to adapt in terms of the Australia World Cup campaign so I think an awful lot of pluses here Joe would you agree? Yeah I definitely think it's a worthwhile exercise you know, aside from the games itself the travel for the team from Ireland to Texas and then from Texas to Missouri it's a little bit of preparation ahead of the distances that they're going to have to uh, complete in Australia. You know, our opening game will be in Sydney. We're going to have to cross the country to Perth to face Canada before flying back again to Melbourne to face Nigeria in the final group game. And that's a lot of air miles. And you could see, I think, in the second half of the second game, definitely the effect that the travel had on the team. You know, a lot of it was played at almost a, pretty much a walking pace. And I'm, I'm hoping that whatever about the performance on the on the pitch, that's, that there's a lesson to be learned from the impact of that much travel in such a short space of time for the team. Absolutely, Joe. Totally agree with you there as well. And, and I suppose the other good news is we didn't really pick up any significant injuries. When you look at the US side, Swanson in the first game goes down with a serious leg injury as a result of the World Cup. And she was one of the leading lights for the USA, particularly in an attacking position. I think from that perspective, it was a good training camp. I know the results didn't go our way, Joe, but I think it's evolving. The quality opposition was elevated to a new level here for Republic of Ireland, and I think they acquitted themselves very well. And I think the analysis of this, we should learn and we should see this team improve as we get into June, playing Zambia and also France in the farewell um, home game before the girls and Vera Pound management do jet off to Australia for the World Cup. So I think it was a valuable two-game series here. 
And I suppose as well from a US perspective, the fact that USA were playing Republic of Ireland leading into a World Cup, I think says an awful lot here as well in terms of Republic of Ireland women's team stature in the game. Uh, an awful lot of positive vibes again uh, for Republic of Ireland after the series. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the USA will be facing 21st in the world ranked Portugal as well as uh, Vietnam and the Netherlands. Portugal ranked one place ahead of the Republic of Ireland in the world. So the fact that the US would consider us as a vital part of their warm-up for their World Cup campaign says a lot about the improving profile of the team on the on the world stage. You know, you mentioned the set pieces there and uh, a negative maybe that I felt across the two games was that we were a bit one-dimensional from set pieces. A lot of the corners seemed to be to the far post for Louise Quinn either to head back across goal or to get a, a shot on target. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't take advantage of a player with the area ability of Louise Quinn, but by the same token, it shouldn't. we shouldn't be one-dimensional from our set pieces. I would have liked to see a little bit more of variety, especially from the corners. Now, on the other hand, if she had scored the chance that she got early in the first game against the USA, we'd be saying that, that it was the management and coaching staff using the best abilities of the best players that they have available to them. What did you think of the set pieces across the two games? I do agree with you, Joe. I think it was a little bit one-dimensional, but I would be in the hopes that Ireland are practising or have a guide of set pieces here, that they're not using all their tricks, that it may be just kind of one-dimensional for now, but then springing maybe one or two set pieces when it really matters, and that's in July 20th against Australia. So... I'm not too worried. I mean, from, let's say, a USA perspective, it was still a challenging set piece uh, to defend against, particularly with Louise Quinn. Like you think about it, if Nifahi comes back in, Diane Caldwell as well, very capable in the air. And we do have great delivery in the box here with the likes of Katie McCabe or Denise Sullivan. So I think from that perspective, I'm not too worried right now. I'd be a little bit worried if we're going in against Australia and we're seeing exactly the same sort of delivery uh, because Australia video analysis will eat that up all day long. So... I'd be more hopeful that the management team and players are working behind the scenes to really develop a set of, you know, tricks here in the set piece. So hopefully not uh, too worried here right now, Joe. Yep, that's uh, that's fair enough. I was a little disappointed as well that Courtney Brosnan was the only goalkeeper to see any game time across the two games. Grace Maloney, Megan Walsh and Sophie Whitehouse, who was called up to the Ireland team for the first time, didn't see any minutes. You know, we could possibly be heading to a similar situation to the men's team where Gambazunu, if he's fit, he starts and he plays every game. But the flip side of the coin is that it means that the backup goalkeepers tend to not see a lot of minutes. Courtney Brosnan is uh, the first choice goalkeeper and she quit herself uh, really well across the two games. I think especially in the first game, it could have been a lot worse, but for some of the saves that she made. But I'm hoping we're not setting ourselves up for a fall if she gets injured or suspended between now and the group stages of the World Cup. Look, it's unlikely that any player other than Courtney Brosnan will play in goals for the Republic of Ireland in the World Cup. And if any of the other goalkeepers in the squad does so, they'll be the first second-choice goalkeeper to make an appearance at a finals for the national side. I think it it was an opportunity to give one of the other goalkeepers in the squad, some game time at international level. And look, 
we've got two more friendlies to play this year before flying out against uh, Zambia and France. And it's possible that uh, any of the other three goalkeepers could see some uh, some game time in those two games. Yeah, I would hope so, Joe. Definitely against Zambia and definitely to a certain extent against France as well. That'll be the farewell fixture heading to Australia. Definitely the likes of, as you say, the three keepers here, Grace Maloney, Megan Walsh and Sophie Whitehouse. Again, I suppose three probably gets cut down to two before the Zambia game, I would say. Now, unless there's been evaluation going on in the training um, stakes in terms of the goalkeepers here. But again, nothing beats competitive action or even friendly action, just a cohesion between the goalkeeper and their defensive partnership. Heaven forbid here, Courtney Brosnan's having a great season with Everton. Even with Ireland, you know, the last player back could be ascending off here. Heaven forbid if that would happen. But again, we have to look at that eventuality. I would hope that the Irish management will do seriously look at basically running the rule over one or two of the keepers here, particularly in that Zambia game. That would be a kind of key one uh, there, just to kind of build a little bit of confidence, build a little bit of kind of morale, uh, I say, within the goalkeeping fraternity here, given, as you say, Courtney Brosnan played the two games, played well, in my opinion. But again, if you're the other three goalkeepers here, it's probably a little bit demoralising a little bit to see, like the United States rotated their keeper here in the St. Louis game, that the same didn't happen here. So I think for Veerpoint management, a little bit of pragmatism may need to kick in here just to keep morale, particularly in the goalkeeping unit, on side here. So I would hope that would be the case come June against Zambia. Given where we are after these two games with the USA, do you see anyone here within the squad that has emerged? I know we talked about Sinead Farley, we've talked about O'Hanlon and also Marissa Sheva, but I suppose Ethan Mannion as well maybe comes into the radar as maybe a dark horse for the squad. What did you feel in terms of uh, Ethan Mannion's performance, particularly in that first game in Austin, Texas? I thought she was a worthwhile addition to the squad. Very solid in defence, despite perhaps an unfamiliar formation with, uh, with five defenders. She's established herself as a a first-team player now, and Manchester United top of the the Women's Super League, four points ahead of Chelsea, although Chelsea have two games in hand. I think that the first-choice centre-defensive partnership will still be Caldwell and Quinn, but Mannion has definitely proven herself to be an able deputy, and I do expect her to be named in the squad to go to Australia. Yeah, I'd agree with you there, because I think there's still... An awful lot of concern in terms of me Fahey's fitness with Liverpool. I know we spoke off here, here, Joe, and I know you're pretty much in low down in terms of fitness reports and you didn't really hear a whole pile in terms of me Fahey's fitness status. So, I mean, I think from Vera Powell's perspective, there needs to be a backup plan here. And I think Ethan Mannion from the Spanish spring training trip has really impressed Irish management and the players alike. And I thought, Again, in terms of her Austin, Texas performance, didn't put a foot wrong. I thought the leadership, the organisation, I think all the attributes here, it looked as if this lady was a 2030 cap international playing against the league opposition. So I think from that perspective, Eva Mannion has done herself no harm at all in terms of this trip. And I think out of the four that we've mentioned here, I think Eva Mannion is the one that's probably leading the charge as a late dark horse to get into that Ireland World Cup squad and I think you know given her form with Manchester United it's well merited I think it would be hard to ignore for the squad if she does go on to lift the title with Manchester United so just looking a little bit further afield 
the three group opponents that Ireland will face in Australia, uh, the hosts, Australia, Canada and Nigeria, all had a series of fixtures during April as well. Uh, Australia, perhaps surprisingly, losing to Scotland uh, at the beginning of the month, uh, although it was an experimental side, but then went on to beat, beat England in the community stadium in Brentford, the first loss for the Lionesses since losing to Canada in April 2021. We knew that it was going to be tough against Australia as hosts. They're going to have the home crowd behind them, although reports coming from Australia suggest that they might have as large a percentage of the support as you might think in Stadium Australia uh, on the 20th of July. Pretty much everybody I know living uh, in and around Sydney and even uh, southwest Australia uh, seems to have gotten a ticket for the game. And I'm not saying it's, it's going to be like Italy in Giant Stadium in 1994, but by the same token, you know, Australia, they might be facing the crowd that they thought they would be uh, in that opening game. Mark, what did you think of Australia's win over England? I think it was a standout performance here, and I think it's a timely reminder we're three months out from a World Cup here, Joe, that this group with Ireland, Australia, Nigeria and Canada is going to be absolutely fiercely competitive with no easy games. I think from an Australia perspective, that's a standout result for their World Cup preparation. I know they had a disappointing result, as you said, against Scotland, but Scotland are a very decent side, as we found out last season, trying to qualify for this World Cup tournament. I think from an Australia women's perspective, it all comes down to this front two of Sam Kerr, Mary Fowler. I mean, I thought on the night their movement was exceptional. And I think Sam Kerr's goal in the first half really exuded class in terms of that ball that she literally stripped Leah Williamson for pace. It was a predatory striker's finish to really open the game up for Australia. And then Charlotte Grant coming in with a goal after 67 minutes. I mean, England had a good team out, if you think about it, with uh, Millie Bright unavailable due to injury. But if you look through that England squad, that is a very strong team that Australia have just beaten here. So, I mean, they're very compact, 4-4-2. Defensively, were very solid on the night. So, again, I think Ireland are under no illusions here in terms of Australia. Their potency here, particularly with Sam Kerr, Mary Fowler. But also, you're looking at Polk and Horn here. Arnold in goal ever-present. Cooney Cross, Gorey, again, there's folks here that, there's players here that are well-established, well-experienced players and really came to the fore in Brentford. And uh, again, it's a reminder here for Ireland that the final third potency of Australia will be very dangerous come July 20th. So look, standout result for Australia and they go into this tournament in good form. Yeah, Mary Fowler, of course, who actually did qualify for a play for the Republic of Ireland. Her grandfather uh, is from Ballymine, and she was pictures giving him her jersey after the friendly between the two sides back in September of 2021. Uh, just have a, a look for it on, online. I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to call it that result against England a shock. Uh, Australia are a good team, but it's probably the standout result of the women's fixtures in April. The two games against the US were probably lined up by the Ireland team as preparation for that opening fixture against Australia. I don't know if we're going to see five in defence uh, again, but I think we, we might see maybe a, a sweeper or a deep-line centre midfielder to just to counteract the pace of Fowler and the ability of Kerr up front. Yeah, I think though these US games would have really tested Ireland defensively when you consider who they were up against, and particularly some of the forward-line threat that USA brought to the table 
in Austin and St. Louis. I think we're in good preparation. Sam Kerr, Mary Fowler are very good players. But again, we were well organised defensively. We'll have to do that again against Australia. And I think, to be fair to Ireland, more competitive games leading into this tournament as well, particularly with Zambia, but also France as well. We'll basically hone in the skills here defensively and also from an attacking perspective. So look, again, we have to trust uh, Vera Pell and management and players to really deliver in July 20th. The second game uh, of the group, uh, it will be against Canada. Canada are actually on a, a bad run of form at the moment. The last four of the last five games with only a win against Brazil in the Sheet Leaves Cup in February. It's their only win in the four games they've played this year after losing to Brazil uh, in a friendly at the, the end of 2022. You know, what's going on behind the scenes in Canadian football at the moment with the women's team looking for equal pay? It looks like it is having an effect on the performances on the pitch. The last two won to a, a good French team, that you know, a team that we're going to be playing in our last game before flying out. At the moment, they don't have any other games lined up before before they face Nigeria in their group opener. They're still ranked sixth in the world. France are ranked fifth in the world. It was a real battle of the heavyweights, and France were tuning up before uh, Huitema. Um, my apologies if I mispronounced her name. Uh, got one back for the Canadian side. I think we've been quite clever about our choice of opponents uh, in this this year. France playing Canada, and before we face them. We're going to have a really good idea of what we can look forward to seeing in that second group game. Absolutely. I think USA and Canada are very similar in terms of their game plans, in terms of the way they play the game. It's very front foot, aggressive physicality. Uh, so I think Ireland really got that in spades against USA and similar to Canada. But I think it's the behind the scenes, what's going on with Canadian women's football at the moment. It's probably going to be more fascinating watch here, Joe, leading into this tournament. We've seen with other countries like Norway where there has been wrangles in terms of inner politics really affecting the national team. And I'm just wondering if this may happen here with Canada because this performance against France had good, some good spells. But again, there was that period in Le Mans straight after halftime where they lost focus. France asserted dominance, got their two goals and uh, kind of put this game to bed. I know Canada did respond in the 71st minute, but... Again, it was a bit of a forlorn um, tale here. I think from a French perspective, they were well on top here with uh, 13 shots, 7 shots on target. So I think from a Canadian perspective, Bev Priestman, I think there's a little bit of hoping that the internal politics can really close itself out here in the next few weeks before they get on a plane to Australia, because otherwise that has a very much a devastating morale factor to the squad. And Canada could underperform as a result. So I think that's going to be a close watch here. Maybe Canada a little bit vulnerable heading into this World Cup. Because as you say, Joe, yeah. it's been a very, it's been a very topsy-turvy year for them. I mean, with the She Believes Cup losing to their arch rival and local neighbor, the United States is never good to start a campaign. The Brazil result was satisfactory, but again, it's 3-0 loss to Japan as well. I think may have set a few alarm bells off with Canada, but I think certainly now with the French loss here as well. So I think Brev Priestman definitely has work to do here to galvanise the squad. I know there was a few players unavailable for selection, but still, squad depth-wise, didn't really deliver the goods here against France. And uh, given their Olympic champion status, Canada is still a standout side. They're not a bad team overnight, but again, it's that in politic again, Joe. It's going to be, that could wrangle here. If it's not resolved before the World Cup, I think they are vulnerable. Internal politics affecting World Cup performance. Um, who'd have thought it? 
and our final group opponent, Nigeria. They also had two friendlies in April. Uh, they beat Haiti 2-1 before facing and beating New Zealand 3-0 in Antalya in Turkey. Uh, Nigeria came into the year on the back of a seven-game losing streak, although one of those was on penalties to Morocco in the Africa Cup of Nations. They lost their two opening games of the year against Mexico and Colombia, but have turned around and are now on a three-game winning streak, beating Costa Rica in February ahead of the doubleheader against uh, Haiti and New Zealand. Uh, we're going to be facing Zambia before we face France, currently 77th in the world. Nigeria ranks 42nd. I think what's really going to be interesting in that final game against Nigeria is that it's going to be coming at the end of almost 4,000 kilometers of travel between Sydney and Perth and then Brisbane. So uh, that alone is going to have an effect on the, the performance by Ireland. I hope to be going into that game playing for a spot in the second round. I think with two teams like Australia and Canada in it, we're unlikely to top the group, but I hope to be going in at least with a chance of uh, finishing second. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. I think that's the objective going into that Nigeria game. But as you say, with all the travel here, the exertions of those first two games, particularly against Australia and Canada, it's going to require for your power management to really to rotate the squad around here to freshen things up, particularly in that midfield area, I would say central defence as well, and even up top, I think would need to maybe be re-energised, I'd say, for this game. But again, Nigeria could be a dangerous prospect in that last game. They have an awful lot of US-born Nigerian descent players here. So they've been coming through collegiate systems, playing professional soccer in the States. So there has been quite a few in the squad that are playing in Spain. So I think from that perspective, this is a team to be respected. Now, again, this 3-0 win in Turkey. So Nigeria were based in Turkey, played Haiti, obviously 2-1. But this 3-0 win over New Zealand, I think we mentioned here or asked the question when the World Cup draw took place last December, what co-host would we like to have drawn? I would have, I think we, you know, and Phil, who wasn't here tonight, would have said New Zealand. I think the form guide is kind of showing it that New Zealand look a very vulnerable co-host, if I'm brutally honest. Again, their form has really dropped alarmingly here. And again, there were no match from Nigeria in terms of the intensity, the pace of Nigeria, particularly in that middle third. They went 4-1-4-1 formation here, and they caused New Zealand all ends of problems here, particularly in the first half, were 2-0 up, and then quickly got a second goal midway through the second half. So I think Nigeria are a good team. And again, it's again, this is only preparation, but it is showing from a Republic of Ireland perspective, even though... There was an awful lot of facets of performance that were pleasing against the United States. There is still scope to improve here because we have three teams that are going to face in July that are very experienced at this level and will latch on to any vulnerabilities here. So I think Vera Powell and management of the team know that the improvement is required all over the pitch. We look forward to covering the squad announcement as well as the two friendlies before the teams fly out. We hope to see you in Tallis Stadium. Uh, for that final friendly against France. We didn't have time in our last episode to cover the under-17 men's qualification for the 2023 UEFA under-17 championship to be held in Hungary in a little under a month's time. The draw has since been made, and uh, Ireland will be facing hosts Hungary, as well as Poland and Wales in the first round. And with two teams to qualify for the knockout stages, 
I think the young boys in green are in with a great chance of going through to the quarterfinals. And uh, a further incentive for making the knockout stages is that the four semi-finalists in the tournament will automatically qualify for the 2023 Under-17 World Cup with a fifth spot going to the winner of a playoff between the two best quarterfinalists. The tournament at the end of the year was originally supposed to be held in Peru, but FIFA recently announced that uh, Peru have withdrawn its hosts and the replacements have, have yet to be announced. Mark, you know, the, the Ireland team qualified top of a tough elite round qualifying stage uh, ahead of Italy and are reaping the rewards for finishing top of their group. But perhaps a little unlucky in that first game, you know, going 2 up in the first half before being pegged back late by the Italians, but recovered well to beat Ukraine and host Cyprus with a, a late goal finish ahead of Italy. Who are you looking forward to seeing lining out for the boys in green in a little under a month's time? It's interesting that there's so many from the League of Ireland Academy in this squad, and I think it's a great indication in terms of our League of Ireland structures and our underage grassroots level that there's so many homegrown guys still representing Ireland in under-17 level. I mean, I think Melia came in, you know, from St. Pat's, you know, his hat-trick against Ukraine was pretty standout here. I think throughout the team here, Turley as well from uh, Shamrock Rovers, kind of looking up through it. I know I think you have one or two from based in the UK, but I think over across the squad, I think there is great talent there. It's really great to see. I mean, they were in a difficult group with Italy. You know, Cyprus being the host here as well did show some great moments against Ireland. And only for that last-minute goal, uh, we wouldn't be in the situation. So I think kind of looking into Hungary, Wales and Poland, I mean, it's a group that I think any four of these teams will fancy their chances. But uh, I think Ireland... They were very defensively solid throughout and had some attacking potency as well. So the danger here, from my perspective, is probably either Poland or Wales. Hungary, Republic of Ireland, under-70s, have met at the start of the year in February in Pinatar in Spain. Uh, they drew one uh, game nil all and one nil win. Again, probably no indication in terms of this going into a tournament in Hungary. But again, confidence should be high there. And I think maybe Poland... Poland have scored an awful lot of goals in the last 12 months. So, I mean, we can probably gauge from that that attacking third-wise, they're very potent. And then you've also the Wales here, which have come through an elite group containing Croatia, Albania and Sweden. So, again, another competitive side with an awful lot of players based in Cardiff and Swansea and also dotted in England as well. So, going to be a competitive pool, but why not? The Ireland team have shown great poise, particularly in that Italian under-17 fixture. I expect similar performances here and all the best of the team. I think they'll go far and it'd be a magnificent achievement if they can get to a World Cup. Uh, you know, you mentioned Mason Melia there. He's only 15. He was named on the bench by St. Patrick's Athletic against Bohemians recently. He's actually still eligible for the under-17s for the 2024 under-17 championship. So I'm looking forward to seeing him play, you know, in a couple of weeks' time. And finally, I'm delighted to announce uh, uh, an initiative by uh, ourselves here on the Ireland Football Fans podcast. Uh, I've been doing some research uh, for player appearances for the national side, and one of my first ports of call is always Wikipedia. And one thing that I've noticed in the research that I've done so far is that the articles for the various members of the Ireland women's squad are a little substandard. We've discussed this amongst ourselves, and 
we come up with this idea of asking our listeners on the podcast and our, our followers across our various social media channels to maybe take some time over the next couple of weeks to look at a player's article page, maybe uh, adding something that you might know about the player. could be as simple as their appearances, their first goal, their transfer history. We discussed a few different approaches, and what we've decided to do is that we're going to uh, we're going to focus on one position every week, starting with the goalkeepers. So on Monday, the 24th, assuming I get this edited in time, we're going to ask our followers to look at the pages of the goalkeepers in the squad. Courtney Brosny, Grace Maloney, Megan Walsh, Sophie Whitehouse, and also the, the, the recent call-ups, Nisha McAloon, Katie Keane and Eve Badana just to go in and whatever little bit of information you might have, just add it to the page. There's going to be increasing levels of interest in these players over the next couple of months. And for people who, like me, who use Wikipedia for uh, for research, to have any extra information in there will would be great. In one of my first jobs, there was a plaque overhead, the entrance. None of us is as intelligent as all of us. And I think while that predates Wikipedia, uh, I think it applies absolutely perfectly to the website. None of us knows as much as all of us. And I think if all of us add the information to the site, we'll all be a lot smarter. Like I said, we're going to focus on one position every week, going from goalkeeper to to striker. And hopefully at the end of the next 11 weeks in uh, under three months' time, the various Wikipedia articles for the squad members would be much more readable. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. I think it's a great initiative, you know, because... I mean, these Wikipedia updates, they'll be constructive, they should be accurate, you know, in terms of playing career stats. And, uh, you know, it'll be great to have that information for the casual Irish soccer fan as well, because these ladies, the squad being announced, Vera Pau, there's going to be more media focus on this team and squad and backroom stuff leading into that Zambia and obviously the French game. So it'd be great to have that sort of information to hand on all these squad players because the amount of effort, time, preparation that these ladies uh, put into the game is phenomenal and I think they should be out there uh, in the public eye, you know, for all the right reasons. So I think it's a great initiative, Joe, and uh, yeah, we'll be busy at work uh, on the goalkeeping front in the next few days. Yeah, look out for announcements, uh, as I say, on our various social channels, starting from Monday and then uh, following on every Monday for the following 10 weeks. I have read about other similar initiatives in the past to improve quality of Wikipedia articles for women across a a multitude of fields. And I just felt that this might be a collective effort by the Ireland fans uh, for the team. I'd like to thank Mark for joining me to discuss the two games against the USA, the under-17s qualifying for the European Championship, and finally for the announcements of our initiative to improve for of the quality of Wikipedia pages for the Ireland women's team. Uh, you can follow Mark on Twitter at Hawkeye Psychic, assuming Twitter is still here by the time this goes out. You can follow me at Irish underscore abroad. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.